Oh my God, that was some weak ass intro music. What's going on behind the, the kegs over here? Definitely, all about the you. So, I wanted to sit here and basically have a conversation with somebody. This is, this is the brainchild of, of, of the marketing company, Right Side. So, I'm kind of into the sporting world, I guess you can say, being a former football player and, and, and talking on the radio about sports all the time. But to be perfectly honest, I'm not so interested in, in sports themselves, it, it, which is like one of the most ironic things in the world. Um, the business has totally, I guess you can say, evaporated a lot of the love that I had for football. So uh, at the end of the day, uh, I enjoy learning about people. Um, every time that we interview anybody on the radio, it was like pulling teeth for me because maybe one, I didn't know who the person was. Uh, and, and, and number two is half the time, I'm not really interested in learning about that person. Um, I just, I had no connection with. So the whole brainchild of Sip and Discuss is going to be trying to let people see, I guess you could say behind the curtain of, of what might not be just the Sunday NFL game or the Saturday or seeing somebody in an 80-foot yacht or seeing somebody rolling around in Rolls-Royce. I'm more interested on what the hell that person did in order to get that Rolls-Royce or to have that yacht or why is he so good on Saturdays and Sundays? What the hell did this guy do? I know there's only so much that you can do as a talented individual, uh, as somebody that might have inherited a lot of money, uh, but I wanted to know about the person who never inherited shit, who grinded, who became successful ultimately on their own and had a passion and, and what drove that person and why is that person doing so well in their field today. And I got kind of tired, to be perfectly honest, of the people saying, um, must be nice. So I don't know if, I, if you were to ask me, I would call this like the what, what must be nice podcast, to be perfectly honest, because it seems like to me that anytime somebody says must be nice, so if you're going on vacation, a coworker might be like, yeah, it must be nice. Like, no, dude, I've been here 320 days. I haven't had a fucking vacation in a long time. You know what I mean? That's, so it's, it's one of those things where I wanted to look behind the curtain of the person who is either successful or becoming successful and find out ultimately their story. So um, needless to say, my first person who I was very intrigued with the very first time I ever met him, and that was through Enrique down here, ironically, in the tire business. The minute that I was done with the NFL, I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. I didn't know where I was going to go. I knew I was coming back to Miami, obviously. Um, but like a lot of athletes, the backup plan is who the hell knows, you know, for the most part. I was educated, um, smart. I had a hedge fund. I was doing the hedge fund thing, but I almost died of a heart attack, so I couldn't do the hedge fund thing anymore. I had to remove myself from, like, day trading. Um, and, and that was basically the end of days for me for, for the, the hedge fund thing. Uh, but, but for the most part, it was like, okay, what am I going to do now? So I called Joaquin Gonzalez right over here down the road with Tire Group International, former University of Miami offensive lineman, basically my best friend in college. And, uh, and he said, there's always a home for you here. If you ever want to come here to figure it out, um, I, I, my guess is, is you're probably not going to be staying in the tire world the rest of your life. Uh, you have a lot of passion and a lot of things that you want to do. But, uh, but my door is open and you have a spot here. So I met with him and his brother. And, and then I learned through Enrique about another gentleman uh, who's done some pretty goddamn amazing shit, if you think about it, in terms of the career path that he's taken um, and, and ultimately the cobblestones, the trips, the falls, the, the potholes that he, I'm sure he's probably suffered in his, in his life that we're going to hear about tonight. So I, I want to bring up my first guest to 
This is not called sit and discuss, by the way. It's called sip and discuss, so please make sure you have your beverages. Um, I want to bring up my man, Marcus, from Souls by Sir. Okay, so relax, catch a buzz maybe, put your feet up. I want to, uh, I want to learn a lot more in depth about Marcus's life, uh, maybe a couple skeletons. Hopefully I don't offend anybody, or, or, or I hope you don't offend anybody, to be perfectly honest. Um, but, but I definitely want to dive into you, and, and you as a person, uh, you as a kid, families, the whole thing. So okay. we're going to get into what you do and how you do it and why you do it. But, uh, but I want to start from the beginning, man. I'm, I'm very, very intrigued how, first of all, the rarity in itself is you do see that your eyes aren't, aren't deceiving you. You do see a ginger, a Latin ginger, sitting upstage with me right now. So for the, for the they're few and far between, and I, I really do believe that's why Enrique is, is partial to Marcus as well. Yes, we met on a website. It was like gingers that are Gingersofmiami.com. I like it. Um, so, so tell me exactly how this whole thing went down. You could, you could like dive into mom and dad, the whole situation. First of all, you are Cuban. Yes, I, that's what they tell me. I, uh, my parents look nothing like me. I'm the redheaded stepchild. I've yet to be told that I'm a stepchild. Yes, but I'm Cuban, born here, Miami, grown, everything about it. Um, but it's amazing. It's amazing being a redhead because so many times I've been in that elevator. And they'll either say good shit about you or bad oh, yeah. shit. And you it made there. me want to learn Spanish. I'm not going to lie. You stay there, you. and then when the elevator's doors open and you're leaving, you just say gracias. And yeah. your face just fucking drops. Gracias por todo. Chuck the deuce. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for everything. Yeah. I'll never forget. That's how it happened with me. With um, So coming from Canada, I, I, knew, I knew French. So and French is super, super similar to Spanish. And um, I'll never forget, I came down here for years, years, just ignorant to the whole Latin culture. I just, I didn't want to pay attention to Spanish until I couldn't get over people talking shit about me, the whispers and the whole thing. So a perfect story is Joaquin, his mom, um, I don't want to throw her under the bus, but <laughs> she is by far the most perverted, foul mouth, old Cubanita I've ever met in my life. The, the, the vieja is yeah. so crazy, like batshit crazy. So I had longer hair in college and, um, and I'll never forget this, I'm, I'm at Joaquin's brother's house, and Mima's there, and Pipo, and Tio, and, and Titi, and like, you name it, Weecho, like everybody's over at the house at the pool. And all of a sudden, Joaquin's mom comes over and like tries to like touch my hair, and then Joaquin knew that like that was a no-no, like you don't, you don't, like <laughs> leave the hair alone. So Mima's like, que pasó, que pasó? And I was just like, Mima, no toque, please. Well, I, I said it in English, I was like, Mima, please. The wig is like soup. I'm like Samson, you know what I mean? Like I, I can't have this thing being yeah. touched. And she's like, ah, uh, bre, you know what you need to say? And I was like, what? She goes, yo soy un pájaro. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell does that mean? And she's like, yo soy un pájaro. I got nice hair. I said, oh, one more time. What again? Yo soy un pájaro. And I was like, yo soy un pájaro. Okay, no problem. So for weeks, Joaquin let oh, me go around man. saying, yo soy un pájaro. <laughs> no bullshit. Yo soy un pájaro. Yo soy oh, un pájaro. And I would practice it. Yo soy un pájaro. Yo soy un pájaro. And then all of a sudden, Joaquin was like, man, I can't let you do it anymore, man. I can't let you do it anymore. It's getting crazy. So from that day on, I was like, that's it. I got to learn Spanish, man. I have to learn Spanish. So oh, man. She got that, you good. She got me really good. That was my, uh, that was my, my baptism by fire. Wow. Yeah. So, so, so growing up here in Miami, 
yes. ginger, Latin, Cuban, mom and dad. So, so tell me about mom and dad in your household as a kid growing up. Are you, are you only child? Or are you? Only, yes, only child. Only oh, child syndrome. Spoiled. I get all this shit. Yes, yeah, spoiled. Only child. Uh, grew up, played sports like every Hispanic kid here. Played baseball all, since I was four. So I hit high school. And then in high school, I get introduced to football. Where'd you, where'd you grow up? Uh, Westchester. Westchester. Wow. Nice. There's two staples, Westchester and, and Aguadulce. Oh, Hialeah. Yes, Hialeah is a guarantee. Yeah. But Aguadulce is up there, too. <laughs> yeah, I was a Westchester kid. I grew up and then uh, went to Columbus. I get introduced to football, and they were actually promoting hitting people. And I was like, oh, this, this shit's for me. And I so you were, you were a little violent then, like you were, Apparently, you were I, excited I, about it. I guess it. I was, and I got to high school and I was like, oh, and it just came natural to me. Played football at Columbus, played baseball, ultimately made the decision to stick with football. Why? Because like in football. my life, I was the same, I was, not a lot of people know this, but like I legitimately was playing for like Team Canada, I was scouted by the Blue Jays, the Reds, like I was, I wanted to be a professional baseball player, that was my story. Okay. I wasn't crazy, or nor did I want to do a lot of the hitting. I was kind of forced to do, I wanted to be the pretty boy guy. I wanted to, I was tight end, defensive end, didn't want to do much of the hitting. Um, and then my baseball coach and football coach ultimately wanted to fist fight over what I was planning to do with the rest of my, huh. my, my, my future. So you chose football because of the violence. You know, it's funny you said that my coach, my high school baseball coach, kind of ultimately made me make that decision because he put me in his office and I remember him telling me, if you want to play baseball for me, you're not going to play football. And I remember as a what, 15-year-old kid being like, man, F you. I'm playing whatever I want to play. And I left baseball. I literally, in that office, I said, all right, well, I'm done. I'm going to play football. I'm not going to be told I can't play something. So you got to explain this to me. So in Canada, high school sports, it's either football um, and maybe a little bit of hockey. Okay. Canada, where I grew up. Here in Miami, if you're a baseball player, it's more about the high school that you play for. Yeah, so I mean, listen, anybody who goes to certain type of school, it's for certain types of reasons. So if you, I went to Columbus, it was a sports school. We weren't Belen who was academically inclined. We were, we were this, you know, you were Columbus. You went there to play sports. You know, and if you went to Ransom, Gulliver, you, you had, just, you had you bread. Were, you were just rich. You had bread, got it. Yeah, you were just rich. Got it. If you went to any, if you went to Columbus, you know, it divided itself either public school or private. And when you went to private and you played sports, it was either Belen or Columbus. If you went to Belen, mommy and daddy typically were doctors, lawyers, making six, seven figures. I like it, throwing the shot out there for it's, the rich kids. Yeah, listen. Yeah. Enrique was one of those guys, by the mm. way. There you go. Oh, please. And then if not, you went to Columbus. So I ended up going to Columbus, played sports. It was good in school, too. I mean, I was top of my class. And I just went there to play sports and hopefully get on to college. So I went there playing baseball with the dream. I'm going to play baseball. I'm going to make it to the pros because there you could be short. You can live the Hispanic dream and be 5'10 and <laughs> make it to baseball. Football, right. you better keep growing. And when I got there and I had that decision, I just was like, man, fuck you. I'm not going to be told I can't play something. So I played football, had a great coach, got into a D3 school in Ohio way above my league. Like, I mean, the average SAT score back then for football players was like 1,300. And I was just like, shit, this is, not a, this is not a good place to be. I loved it, played ball for a year, but... I came back because I had So you did go up north. You went to Ohio then. I went to Cleveland. Oh, my God. I have no idea why. But every, you know, when you go up there, they ask you, where are you from? And I'm like, oh, from Miami. The first question is like, what the fuck are you doing here? Right. I got tired of that question. But no, it was, it was a great place. I loved the people, loved the city, hated the weather. It was nighttime at 3 o'clock. It yep. was cold as shit when we practiced at 5 in the morning. But it was like, it was a good place to go. I had to get out of here to realize that, man, like, Miami people, for the most part, 
you be, you end up becoming a product of your environment, right. which is like an asshole. Everybody down here is head up. Rudest city in the world, by the way. It, it, it's amazing. New York ain't got shit on Miami. I promise you. But you love Nothing. it. But when you're from here, you love it. Yeah, it's like it's, nobody kicks my dog. It's my dog. Yeah, if I want to kick him, I'm going to kick him. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that's what happened, man. I, I went up there for a year, and then I realized football was great and all, but I missed home, missed the weather, had a company I had started when I was in high school that was blowing up. We're gonna, yeah, I need, to, I need to get into the entrepreneurial spirit, which is probably the main reason why you're so successful today in doing what you're doing. And, and by the way... Is there many people doing what you do right now? So the answer is yes and no. Um, nowadays, social media has made it about, instead of making money, they just want to be associated with people who make money. Got so it. I make money in what I do. But there's a lot of guys now that want to do free customs just to say, hey, you know what? I work with Brett. Hey, you know what? I work with Drew Brees. Hey, I work with Tom Brady. But they don't realize you can't sustain a business that way. I mean, it's cool for your friends. You get a couple thousand followers. But I never was in it for the following. I was always in it for the money. And so people that make money doing it, maybe two or three of us, and everybody has their own lane. Like I have athletes. There's a guy who has, you know, singers, actors. There's another guy that has high school kids. But one thing I realized early in life, if you're going to do something, you have to aim at that top 10% because they never run out of money. If you aim at the kid in high school, he's going to save his money for a year and he can buy one pair of customs. If you aim for the guy that's making six, seven figures, that guy's going to buy a pair every week. And that's what I aimed after. And that's 99% of my business is guys in the NFL, Major League Baseball, basketball, celebrities of some sort. So where did this entrepreneurial spirit or this gift of <laughs> creating business after business after business come from? You know, it, it's funny. As a kid, I grew up, my dad was an entrepreneur, had his own company. And, you know, I worked like most kids, parents have their own company, you work for them. And I wasn't really good at taking instruction. I didn't really like to be told what to do. There was no way in fuck I was gonna work for. Did something. you did you catch many ass whoopings growing up or no? I want to say ass whoopings, but I. Did. I did. I'll, I'll, no, if you're nervous no. about like the police coming in and, and no, listen, make, I, there's I, like a statute of limitations <laughs> here. Like you're you're a lot older. You're good. No, I wouldn't say ass whoopings, but I had that Hispanic mom that she didn't have to whoop your ass. She said she was gonna whoop your ass, and that was enough to just. The chain came off or no? No, my mom. No, she she upgraded to the belt. She upgraded to whatever she could find, but I just the fear is probably more of a mental mind fuck for me than actually the beating would ever be. So I was really good about paying attention, like just don't, you know, stay in your lane. And when I got to that point, I was like, I was always that person that when I saw my dad do something and making X amount of money, I was like, man, there's gotta be an easier way to make more money than what we're doing. And listen, I, I went through private school since I was a kid, my, you know, I had a great life. Did mom and dad have to sacrifice in order oh, to do that? Listen, I, w I guarantee you, they sac I was the last kid in after school until five, six o'clock while my rich friends were getting picked up. At See, that, that's the one thing, because currently with my situation, with my kids, I, coming from Canada, private school is, it's a unicorn. Like, I didn't even believe, I, what was that one movie that came out with, uh, uh, it was a toy soldier or something? Like, what was the movie where all the kids, like, there was a private school that got taken hostage because of all the rich private kids in and and they found a way to like save the school and save themselves because i can't remember what it was called it might have been like toy soldier or something like that but but that movie i watched that movie and i was like there's really schools in the world that are like private like that like you got to go in a uniform and yeah. like you pay money to attend school because yeah. in canada we don't have that shit. so i'm still dealing with the demon of having to pay for private school down here <laughs> like it's it's the struggle is real here in, in Miami, it's it, crazy. And it's expensive, it's not cheap. It's only gotten worse every year. Um, unfortunately, we don't live in a, in a community where public school is great and, and it's going downhill and downhill, unfortunately, because you see all these, and, and don't get me wrong, all these shootings and all that stuff happens in private and public, it happens right. in both. But it's just, you feel safer sometimes. 
putting your kid somewhere where it's more secured, quote unquote. So I went there, but my parents sacrificed. They were, we were working class middle, middle people, always still are. And I was the last kid in after school. I definitely got forgotten about a couple times where I stayed way past when I was supposed. They forgot me a couple of times. I guarantee fucking see that. And uh, we, uh, so yeah, I was, I was that kid. Listen, and then I would see my dad and my dad, I'd work on the weekends to make, you know, money to go out. Doing and, what? So my dad had a, a wheel and tire company. So envision your pimp your ride. So we did that type of stuff. Lower the cars, put rims on the cars, all that stuff. Um, and I enjoyed it, but I always had like a, a knack for sales. I loved closing sales. I, I thought I can close anybody. And I think I was 11 or 12 when I was on the sales floor and I was good at it. And I figured out a way to, I think I was making like two or 3% commission, but when you're making an average sale of six, 700 bucks, that's like 18, 20 bucks. You can make a couple of those an hour. I was making 30, 40 bucks an hour. It was great money as a kid. Damn. But more than that, I just, at the end of the day, I, it would always strike me on Saturdays. We would close at four. I swear to God, we would never leave there till six, seven o'clock. But we were closed at four. My dad was that person at that time that couldn't turn on a computer, old school, green ledger book, write everything by hand. And I was like, fuck, there's gotta be a better way to do this shit. And when I was in high school, this is probably a second company you had, but when I was in high school, my dad, so when you used to get wheels and tires put on your car, you had a brand new car at the dealership, you'd get brand new 2022s, put them on your car, your Escalade, whatever you had, the original wheels and tires would stay behind. Right. And most people didn't think, damn, if they steal my shit, I got no wheels. So they would just leave them there for next to nothing. And it built up and built up. And I remember at one point, he must have had, heck, 100 plus sets of wheels and tires. No way. But he couldn't give them away. And at the beginning, I was like, man, there's got to be a way to do this. And eBay had just started. And I was like, fuck, I'll figure this shit out. So I put a set on eBay. What seemed to be less than a week later, a, a screen name, Italian Stallion, bought the first set of wheels and tires. It was for a Jaguar, and mind you, my dad couldn't give this shit away. He had it for a, over a year, and this guy paid me seven, eight hundred bucks for basically trash. But what I didn't know was the guy was paying me seven, eight hundred dollars for something that cost him four grand had he gone to the dealership. Right. So fast forward 60, 90 days, all that inventory was gone, and my dad was like shell-shocked, like, holy shit. So we started an internet company doing the same thing my dad was doing. Locally here? Uh, yeah, locally here. And Was this like... Uh like the let go or whatever that new app is now, like that you just like ult Craigslist or whatever. No, was no, that no, ultimately no, what you were no, doing so with we, the wheels and tires or no? No, no, we had an internet company, just wheels. And, it was like the same thing you can buy in a store, but you can call us up. Hey, I want to get this. We were in every major car magazine. And you developed platform and everything for it? Yeah. That, no, no, no. I didn't develop a platform. We literally just made a website. And our advertising method was via Google Analytics and all these like back then people bought these lowrider magazine type mag, mm -hmm. you know, and we had two page spreads on all this stuff. So we basically took a company from zero to over a million a month we were doing in sales when it was absurd. And my dad's company at best was making good money, but it was a three, four million operation a year. So we were tripling that and it got, it got out of control. It was literally, I had a lot of life lessons in that thing because you always think, man, you sell a million. I'll never forget the first month we hit a million dollars, we lost money and I couldn't fucking understand it. Why we, was that? We didn't, I didn't understand budgeting, I didn't understand advertising, I didn't understand shipping, and it was February, it was the shortest month of the year, and it was also coinciding with tax season at the time. Right. And we sold a million dollars and we lost like five or 10 grand, I was like, how, how is this fucking possible? So we figured it out eventually, you know, we, we, you know, you go through hoops and you learn, but I realized then, I was like, retail wasn't where it was at, where it was at was internet, because basically you could be in a warehouse, nobody knew, which we technically were, and you didn't have to worry about paying prime real estate. You could be in the middle of nowhere and you could sell all over the world. And we were shipping everywhere. We're talking three, 400 packages a day. 
And it was great. And until you get to the point where I would say eight or nine years later, somebody with a lot more money than you, that you're just a pain in their ass, decides to say, hey, by the way, we want to buy you out. And it's, it seems like the most amazing words you can ever hear. Um, but they're, at the time it did. And, you know, we, we sold out, whatever. We can't really talk about the deal. But we sold out. But it was like, imagine having a kid from inception to nine years old. Now some family with a lot of money says, hey, we're going to give you X amount of money. But that kid is no longer yours. And, oh, by the way, we're going to kill your son. Oh, so you had to stay on. No. They bought it to close it. Literally shut us You're down. You're shitting me. 30 days later, because we were such a pain in, the, in their ass. They kind of wanted the non-compete situation they just, going exactly on. Exactly what they wanted. They literally were buying us not starting again. And we, we did it. It made sense. Um, sold that company. Learned a lot of lessons in that. Took two years off. And I, I ended up opening what I, what I do now. But, I mean, it was fun and it was amazing. Making great money. But one thing I realized then was we were working 15, 16-hour days on a slow day. Grinding. So you were making a lot of money, but there's nothing like going to dinner at 11 o'clock at night on a Tuesday. It sucks. You couldn't go on vacation, nothing like that. So how old were you at this point? I was, this was through my college years. I was, what, 23 when we sold it, maybe? 24, maybe? But this wasn't your first business avenue. No, no it wasn't. Tell I, me about <laughs> the high school sandwich ring that you oh, ran. Oh, man, that, that shit put me on the map. Um, so I went to Columbus, like I said. And so I have this, this thing where, again, if I have $2 in my pocket, I want 4 I want 8 And I always try and figure out a quick way to get to that number. Well, at Columbus, we didn't have lunch till like 12, 1230, 1 o'clock. But you went to school at 8, and there was no vending machines on campus because there, there was a strict non-compete clause from the catering service that ran the cafeteria, which was expensive as shit, by the way. And so I was like, I'm going to figure a way around this. So one day I decided, buy a Cuban bread, ham, American cheese, mayo, and my secret ingredient that lasted three years was honey mustard. And I oh, took glad okay, see, man. Uh, Mayonnaise and honey mustard, bro. It's, Magic. Man, I cut that sandwich into three chunks, and they were like, yay big. And I was selling for two bucks. First day I took maybe five sandwiches, like five Cubans or 15, sold it in minutes. Day two, I doubled and I tripled. Well, that operation started my freshman, midway through my freshman year, lasted to senior year. When it was all said and done, I had 14 kids on payroll, two teachers on payroll, janitor on payroll, abuela on payroll, and all I literally did was just transport. Like, I'd come home with all the ingredients, and my grandmother, I'd pay her, I think it was 300 bucks a week. No, you didn't, bro. I, you had abuela in there working like abuela, that? Listen, listen, abuela worked. Slave driver, she man. Worked, listen, the way I always believed it was You like, gave abuela a purpose, though. Abuela worked two hours a day, Five days a week, what, 10 hours? I would have made 300 bucks. I would have loved it from the comfort of her home. Tax-free, mind you. And I literally would take her the ingredients. She'd make all the sandwiches. She used to be our neighbor. So I'd come home with all these aluminum packages, stuff in my mom's refrigerator. Next morning, wake up early, and I had bags. And so the system was, <laughs> everybody had a particular bag. And I'd fill it up with the amount. So, you know, you had 27 sandwiches, you had 50. I'd pack them, put them in my car. But I got shit out of luck year after year where my parking space was in front of the principal's office. And they would come out, so I'd have to sit in my car, and these kids who were my employees, when I would see them walk, I'd pop my trunk, they'd grab their bag and walk away. So you would sell your sandwiches. So say I gave you 50 sandwiches, right? You would sell them for two bucks, so that's 100 bucks. But every day I made sure my employees were well-fed, so I'd give them three or four extra. They weren't eating those. They were selling them and keeping the six, eight bucks. Oh, you're, you're, you're a sandwich dealer. That's what I was. And you goddamn <laughs> sandwich dealer. Like, you're... <laughs> in a city like this, you pop a trunk. You guys are like selling coke in oh, high school. No, no, now you guys are like you're selling sandwiches. It started like that, and then what happened was, so you would sell whatever, 
at the end of the day, I had a body kit on that car, and everybody had a designated spot. So you were front headlight. So underneath the, the headlight, you get underneath my car, put your Jansport book bag or whatever, the money in the front pouch, roll up into a ball, stick it in the, in the bumper of my car. So I'd be at football practice. When I'd get out of football practice, I was like a mechanic under my car pulling bags of money. So I'd get to the car, everybody, you know, on Friday, whatever I gave you, because you would keep 20% of your sales, which turned out to be Fridays. So on Friday, the, you know, the 50 sandwiches I gave, you got to keep that 100 bucks plus all the money you, for all those little three, four. So my employers were making 100, 150 bucks. But better than that was the fact that their mom and dad didn't know they had 150 bucks. Smooth. So it was like making 1,000 for their sake. Um, I did that. Teachers, I mean, I had teachers on payroll making five, 600 a week. Did you have any muscle? Like, like you literally like. So here's another lesson I learned at a young age. I didn't have to have muscle. What happened was, imagine 15 people are making 100, 150 bucks a week. A t couple teachers too, making four or 500. If you ratted me out, you didn't have to worry about me. You had to worry about my entire payroll line because you just screwed Brett, you screwed him, you screwed him. So what would happen was that I had a system in place. There was severance pay. If you got caught, you gotta be shitting me. I swear Did you have like a 401k plan and everything? I, I, mean, or I might as well. <laughs> the way it works was if you got caught, so the rule in the school was if you got caught, first time offender, two days of detention, that's it. Big deal. They would take your money and sandwiches away and they put it in the teacher's lounge and donate the money to whatever God knows what foundation. For real? Yeah, that's what happened. So when you got in trouble, I'd find out because one of the, everybody knew it was me, but nobody, I would never sell. So a teacher would come up to me and would just pat me on the back, say thanks for lunch which was code word for somebody got caught, we have your sandwich in the teacher's lounge, figure out who it is. And so sure enough, I'd find out, oh, Brett, you got caught? Cool, here's two weeks severance pay, stay quiet, do your time, and in four weeks, you come back and work for me again. Bro, my jaw's on the floor. This is like, this is a Pablo Escobar Sesame Street story. This is unbelievable, man. That's literally how it was, and then what would happen was, I never had to threaten you with anything, because at the end of the day, the other employees would be like, hey, you better not snitch, you better not snitch, because Brent got caught, but. Bobby and John who make money off me. If you rat me out, then the dealer goes down, then they have nothing to sell. So it was basically- But nobody could figure out the goddamn recipe to the ham sandwiches? No, I, I, that's the craziest fucking part. Nobody no competition. Could, people would try and you know, I'd get regular mustard competition shit and it'd be like, bro, they can't, they can't figure this shit oh, out. Oh man, you got, you got to get Marcus's shit. He's on fire, bro. That's the fire. It gets, man, listen, that's just the cream of, that's the top of the top. Basically every summer when we get our schedules, I, it was known I was a dealer. So I would get back then faxes, hey, listen, here's my schedule, can I work for you? And I had boards that I would make, all right, so at 12 o'clock, oh shit, I need somebody in the D building. Let me look at this kid's schedule, no, it doesn't work. Oh, he works, okay, cool, you can work for me. At one o'clock, and I had the school covered at any period, and so what happened was, everybody knew who worked for me. I never sold a single sandwich after the first three Hands months. are clean. Always, so they would always try and bust me, I never had anything, until the day I got busted. Um, <laughs> senior year, I mean, it was senior year, three months ago before graduation. After football season, one of my guys didn't show up, and I was like, ah, oh, fuck, for old time's sake, I, I can sell this bag. So I took the bag, I sold everything, it was homeroom. I'm walking into homeroom, and the homeroom teacher was one of those bribers where I'd walk in, drop a sandwich on her, and she would look the other way. So this day, I go to grab my bag, I had two sandwiches left, and I go to drop one of her, and she does one of these faces, and I'm like, that's fucking weird. I was like, all right, fuck it, I'm keeping it. So it was homeroom computer lab, so the, the announcements come on, fuck this, I'm eating. I grab one of these sandwiches, and aluminum foil makes a very distinct sound when mm -hmm. you open it. I did it with a piece of pizza before I came uh, here tonight. Well, then you know what Shout I'm out about. to cold pizza. I opened this shit up, and I swear to God, so in computer classes back in the day, they used to have these server rooms that, it was like a closet, but it had those wooden 
doors that have like, you know, loose or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're inside, you can see out, but you can't see in. There was two of these. As soon as I opened that crinkling, I hear bah, bah. two doors open up and it was like the, the athletic director and the principal. And they just look at me like, come with us, son. Grab my bags and I'm like, fuck. It was like the DEA, it the was, FBI. It was a so that was my biggest thing. So they take me to the office. They're like, listen, we've been after you for three and a half years. The only reason. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, and I'm like, shit. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I just denied it at the beginning. Like, right, listen, Mark, we know everybody and nobody's ratted you out and we can't figure out why. And I look, to be honest with you, we think this is one of the most ingenious things we've ever heard of. And we, we would love to brag about this story, but we just got served with a lawsuit. A lawsuit for what? Somebody allergic to honey mustard? Yes. No, I, apparently, well, remember that, that catering service that had the non-compete? Oh, man. So they were losing 25% of revenue every day. And then this, the guy who ran it would go into the cafeteria, and he would see, apparently, everybody's mother wraps their sandwiches with aluminum foil. So it was like, there's no way. Somebody has to be doing some illegal stuff. So they really put the, the foot down on them, so they had to catch me. So I remember when I realized I was, the jig was up, and I'm sitting there, and I tell them, they're like, Mark, tell us how you did it. So I, I was like, all right, I'll tell you everything you want to know, but you just got to answer one question for me. I'm like, all right, sure, whatever you want. And I go, if I didn't have sandwiches, what were you going to do? Were you going to stay in that closet? They're like, we thought about that, and we would have had to sit there for an hour and a half until you left. And I'm just like, it was that bad? And they were like, yeah, we had to sit in that closet. And I asked them, well, have you, have you done this before? Have you, and they wouldn't answer my question. I'm sure they tried to bust me, and they, oh, they didn't get me. So I was like, all right, well, I'll explain it. So the, and I was like, you have chalk, the dean, Mr. McKean, I'll never forget, he had one of those dry erase flipped to a chalkboard. So I was like, you have, you have uh, chalk? He's like, yeah. He's like, what do you need? I was like, you want to see my operation or what? Sure. So I flip it over. So I'm there drawing everything. This Goodwill is how, hunting shit. Like I'm like, this is how I do it. Out. And I, I literally didn't give up anybody, but it was like person A, person B, person C. Uh, well, I was like X. And I did the whole chart. I didn't realize like 45 minutes had passed. When I turn around, it was fucking, the whole faculty is sitting in there just like, looking at the board like, are you shitting me? That's amazing, me? man. And I was like, yeah, that, that's how I did it. And they're like, well, how come nobody ever ratted you out? And I was like, well, I gave them severance. I, and they were like, what do you mean severance? I was like, well, if you busted somebody, their, cap, their money ended up with brother whatever, and the, the sandwiches ended up in the teacher's lounge, right? I was like, yeah. And I was like, you don't think I found that out? There was somebody who would come, hey, thanks for, uh, thanks for lunch today. So I knew somebody got busted, so I put the word out who got caught. I'd literally go up to them like, all right, you normally make 80 bucks. Here's 160, just keep your mouth quiet. Don't." Stay quiet, do your time, and then four weeks, come back. And they were like, wow. And I, and I explained to them, I was listening. There was like the hidden, don't say anything, because, again, Brett works for me, but John and Joe don't. And if you rat their source of income, they're going to. My God, man. So, and they call my mom, and, and the best part, my mom <laughs> always had my back. And they, they call my mom, they're like, listen, you know, your son, we're, we're about to suspend him um, because he was selling some illegal stuff. And my mom's like, no, what, what do you do? And I listen, we think it's an amazing idea. It's not drugs, not anything like that. It was sandwiches. Do you know anything about this? And my mom's straight face tells him, my son was selling sandwiches? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, so they literally suspended me, and then they had to make an example of me. So they sat me, I swear it sucks. It was in, in, in Columbus. There's this room for attendance there. That if you're late or anything, the main office, they sat me in a chair right by the front door like an example. Like, don't try this shit because you're going to look like that kid. So I missed school for two days. Mind you, I was a straight-A student. Part of the, the, the thing was you got suspended, and then you had to do detention for the rest of the year. Little did they know that the guy who ran detention was one of my employees. It was a teacher. So they would come do attendance five minutes in, and it, was, it, it sucked. Detention would stand up, face the back of the wall. So the first day, he's like, whatever you do, sit in the front chair closest to the boards. I'm like, all right, I'll sit in the front. 
I'm like, this is going to suck. I was like, this, this asshole was an employee. Now he's treating me like scum. So they came in. They do the attendance. Five minutes later, I get like a tap. And it was like, turn around and leave. And I literally would turn around and walk out. And nobody knew I left. So I never, I did five minute detentions for two months. Um, and that was my first realization. I mean, I never missed a day of high school. I made on a bad week a thousand bucks, on a good week, 15, 16, 1700 bucks after employees. So I never wasted a day. I never missed a day of high school. It was the. It was Holy a, smokes, man. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. And like a kid at that age, I blew every fucking penny of it at the time. But what car did you have in high school? Uh, I had a BMW 3 Series that my parents had bought me. But it wasn't Tricked so much about out. the car, but it was the fucking, like, a body kit, TVs, PlayStation, every fucking thing. Of course, I was able to afford it. Oh, what a rims. Two grand? Oh, that's a week. Don't worry. Give it to me. But everybody must have thought you were, like, a drug dealer. Like, they had to have. If they didn't know your situation or your story. Well, listen, when that shit went down, the, one of the, athletic, the, no, the principal at the time, who I didn't really see eye to eye with, he makes a dumb fucking comment one day. He's like, well, it looks like you're going to have to turn your car in. Oh, shit. I remember, like, one says, got to go fuck himself. And my mom basically told him without saying it when she had a meeting with him. But, yeah, I had a BMW. But, again, I, I also worked for my father. This wasn't my own. I never believed in having all my eggs in one basket. Like, this sandwich money wasn't enough. Like, I wanted to go work with my dad and make another $1,000. And that's kind of what I did. And that, that company, literally, I didn't realize at the time, taught me everything I knew about business. Like, supply and demand, everything. And I, years later, realized, like, fuck, I know this already. Like, I learned it at UM. And I'm like, oh, I know this shit. I, I, logistics? Oh, I did this when I was in high school. And I literally learned everything without realizing I was learning everything. But at that moment, I realized I'm never going to work for anybody a day in my life. Wow, man. That's, uh, that's a freaking impressive story, to be perfectly honest. That's unbelievable. So fast forward, you mentioned UM. You ended up obviously coming back from Ohio and yes. attending University of Miami. So that company I started doing the rim stuff on, on eBay and making, it was my junior year of high school. I had basically my, my parents were all about me leaving Miami, becoming an adult. So I got a scholarship to a D3 school, a very smart school, and I signed my letter of intent senior year. I had started that internet company my beginning of senior year, so it blew up overnight. So I left to Cleveland, and when I was in Cleveland, it was, I still wanted to make money. I was playing football, I didn't have a lot of time, so we had a internet company which we opened 24 hours a day. So what would happen was at six o'clock when the store here would close, they would transfer everything to my company's cell phone. So I had 10 lines ringing into my cell phone, Oh, man, those were, those were other good days. So I would get calls of people from all over the world. Hey, I want to buy this set of wheels and tires. I want to buy these rims. So, so many times as a college kid, I was out drinking beers on the way to a bar. And there were so many stories. My buddies would be like, Mark, you'd get a phone call on the thing. And, oh, they'd ask, yo, do you have this wheel and, set and tire set? And I'd be like, hold on, let me check. And I literally would bang the dashboard like a keyboard. And I'd put the phone and just, just do this. And it was like, oh, yeah, I have one set available, sir. So then the next day, before I went to class, I'd call in all my orders, and you know, five, six, seven thousand. I'd call them in, hey, listen, I took these orders last night, process them, do whatever you want. And that was night after night. So that's how I made my money my freshman year. And then the company got too big. My dad had both monsters at the time, the retail and the internet, and it was just getting out of control. So I transferred to UM, gave up football at that point because I realized I was. I would have, I would have too, like to be perfectly I, honest. Holy right, smokes, I, man. I, I literally never had that growth spurt after five, ten and a half that I'm at. I, I was like, fuck this football. Chalked shit. it up as a loss. Said, yeah, all right, I'm out. That's it, man. So I. I transferred to UM, and the only promise was if you transfer back to Miami, you have to graduate. I was like, all right, cool. And like everything I did, I wanted to do it fast. So, I mean. And Miami ain't cheap, though, like attendance-wise. So no. you had to pay for your own school? You put yourself through school? No. I, so what happened was uh, my parents paid my school. Um, I think I had one loan. Thankfully, my parents paid everything else. And 
I had partial scholarships for academic reasons, his, being Hispanic. I had a whole bunch of small scholarships. You're telling me you get, a, you get a scholarship for being Hispanic? Listen, I was the only Cuban kid enrolled at Case Western in Cleveland. Like, you understand? They just hung a flag in my honor because they were all about, we represent 120 countries, and the 21st was Cuba, and it was just this little gringo showed up to school one day. That's crazy. That, that's how that worked. And I transferred back, and I, want, I was so in love with working that I literally fast-forwarded a four-year college degree, and I did it in two and a half years. Never missed this. Like, college was like, I was, I mean, looking back, it was stupid because I literally took six classes a year. I six classes a semester, and I stacked them all Tuesdays, Thursdays. So I was in school from, like, 7 to 6. But it gave me Monday, Wednesday, Friday off to go make money at work or to go to a football game or to travel, do whatever I want. Sadly enough, because of that, I never went to a game at the Orange Bowl. Fucking. Are you, so did you grow up a UM fan then, like a, a, a massive Canes fan I or no? I was a diehard football fan. I was always a pro guy, honestly, growing up. I, I just liked the pro thing. As I got older, I realized that the fun was in college because that's where people actually show up. Um, and I was always a Miami fan. I've always been a, like down south, Miami, Marlin, Panthers. Basically, you went Even the hockey team. I mean, at one point, I mean, listen, at that point, you're rooting for a winner, and we've been had nothing but fucking losers. So UM was the only like shining fucking grace I had for my right. early years. Mind you, the, the whole 02 year, I was in Cleveland. So when Ohio State... And oh my, no! Yeah, that was a bad. That was yeah, a bad I, semester. Yeah, I know it was. Yeah. yeah, it was bad. And uh, I, I went remember. The, I remember. I went to. I went to Ohio State game when they played Michigan to get into that game, and I was up there. I was like, man, this is wild. So I began talking a house of shit. Come back for Christmas break, go back up north to hear for the rest of the year of how, you know, UM can't hold Ohio State's God knows what, and yeah. So I was up there for a year, transferred back to UM, graduated from the U in 05 and never looked back since. It's been amazing. So now let's get into, I want to get into the souls by sir thing. So smooth transition. You, you took some time off. You figured out what you wanted to do or tell me the story. For those of you that don't know uh, about Marcus's story, I'm sure a lot of you do in here because it seems like it's a lot of family and friends. So if, if you can elaborate on the story of how you came about becoming souls by sir. So um, when we sold that first company, uh, two years later, we were loaning out family friends money to do an operation in, in Orlando. They were opening up like a tire salon or whatever it was. And I remember my mom saying like, man, there's like, there's good money in this. So my mom comes back, like, hey, why don't we start this? It was a wholesale used tire company. And I'm like, I'm not fucking selling used tires. Like I went to you, I'm like, I'm not doing that shit. Cause in the back of my head, I'm thinking, that's like the tire guy down the street charging 20 bucks to install, looking, I was like, I'm not doing that. Right. And my mom was like, no, no, the wholesale version of it. So we started that. It blew up overnight. This is right when the economy was tanking. So people who had $100,000 cars couldn't afford $1,000 set of tires, so they had to come find people like us. So everything was great, it was amazing. Um, I had that company, we're going, we're going 11 years, so four years into that company, I just got bored. Like, I, it was great, it was fun, I, I still have it, I love it. But I was like, man, I want to make more money. <laughs> and um, I've always been good at art. If, if you don't mind me asking, like annually, what would you be earning off of the tire company? Just in I mean, case you the were, feds you are were, listening. You were like in the low six figures. You were in the six figures. You know, 100 to 200 grand. So you but were good in money. this city, you wanted, you wanted more. Listen, in this city, unfortunately, I realized with rent and everything, like you can't get, like we don't live in Naples. So I'll, I'll never forget. I'll, I swear to God, this is a side story with, with, with me and my, uh, my wife and her family. So. My wife was, uh, grew up a, a well-off Cuban girl here in Miami, and her parents owned a pretty nice business. And I'll never forget the night that I was sitting in her house telling her old man that um, my goal is to make a million dollars. 
and this is while I'm still in college. This is like my junior year or senior year. I, can't, I, I knew I was going to go to the NFL. And I was like, my goal is to play three or four years, make a million dollars, and that's it, live off interest. And then he looked at me and he kind of gave me this look like, really? Really, that's impressive. Um, <laughs> do you know what a million dollars gets you? And I said, shit, you kidding me? At five or six percent, I'm making 50, 60 grand a year. That's all I need. And he's like, that's all you need where? And I said, what do you mean? That's all you need to live, right? I'm back home in Canada, shit. If your parents are teachers, you guys are well off. If, you're, if you, both your parents work for Fords or General Motors or Chrysler's and does the factory thing, you're making, you're making bank. Like you're bringing home like 60, 70 K. Like you're, you're doing well, you're doing awesome. And I, my eyes were still so blurry to what Miami was or what Miami is in terms of the, the Will Smith song of $100,000 cars, everybody's got them. When, he, when that song came out and he told me that like $100,000 cards, everybody got them, I'm thinking like, no the, no the fuck they don't. Like $100,000 car, American money? Like that's like 150 Canadian. So $100,000, are you shitting me? And I'm like, I'm never realizing the amount of Porsche, Benz, Beamer, then that's like, that's like the, oh my God, you, you got a BMW or you got a Mercedes or that's crazy to me. I didn't even know about the Bentley, the, the Rolls Royce, the Bugattis, all the other bullshit that, that comes along with that stuff. So I could, I could only imagine my father-in-law's face when I'm getting ready to marry his daughter or wanting to marry his daughter and I'm telling him that we are going to be living off of interest on a million dollars that's sitting in the bank account. Like, it was mind-boggling to me. Oh, I'm sure he tried to end that relationship real fast. Yeah, yeah, we're, I married her. We've been married like 15 years now. It's three kids later. It's been wow. awesome. Yeah, listen, that, that's, um, unfortunately, we live in a great city, but it's not cheap to live in this city. Right. And, um, again, I've always been that, I've never, I've always had this gift and curse, which is being ambitious, because ambitious comes at a cost, like your time, you know, yep. you to, a lot of stuff you, you have to give up to do it. So, I mean, but I've always made that decision. I was like, I always tell myself, I'm going to bust my ass while I can, and then hopefully when I hit a certain age, then I can just literally let off the gas. And that's, that's kind of how Souls by Sir started. I, I literally, I've always had a passion for art. Um, I never, the only two people in my life ever told me I was good at art were my junior high teacher and my mother. And I was just like, I remember I wanted to give a gift to somebody at the time. And I was like, I didn't like the color that these sneakers came in. And I was like, oh, I could paint this shit. How hard can this be? And there's no YouTube videos. There's nothing about this. So I bought paint, bought brushes, spent 20 hours on that pair of shoes, gifted it. They put it on Instagram. Next thing you know, like friends of mine were like, oh, man, I didn't know you could paint. Well, listen, so my daughter is having an Elmo party next month. Can you paint her shoes? Yeah, sure, no problem. I'm not going to lie to you. I bought my daughter soccer cleats today, and I was wondering if I could possibly bring them in and see if you could do something sweet for her. But <laughs> I'm trying to. Well, you better not be on interest any, anymore, I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that, that's how it started. And then I want to say, like, 10 pairs in, social media, man. So 10 pairs in, at the time, there was a guy, Nolan Carroll. He played for the Miami Dolphins, defensive back, one of my best friends. And I didn't know him at the time. He hits me up, and he's like, hey, listen, I want your pair to paint some sneakers. So in true salesman fashion, I was like, yeah, man, what do you want? He's like, well, I want Statue of Liberty. I never, I didn't even know what the fuck that meant. And I said, like, oh, yeah, I painted a whole bunch of those shits. Like, yeah, 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 we'll meet up. Let's, let's do it. I bullshitted my way through it. I had never grabbed the airbrush gun at the time. So we meet up. It's these hideous pair of Jordans. They're red, black, and white. So I started Googling what does Statue of Liberty sneakers mean. Long story short, it basically means make these shoes look the color of the Statue of Liberty, weathered and rusty. I'm like, oh, okay, this can't be that hard. I started buying paints. So I'm spraying the shoe at the time at my apartment that I lived on the beach in the kitchen. And I'm spraying it and spraying it. 
But I must have had like 30 layers of paint on this shit. And I wasn't happy, and he's blowing up my phone. Can I see a pic? Can I see a pic? So I remember taking a photo, sending it to him, and I'm like, fuck, it doesn't look good. So he writes back, it's okay. Oh, you might as well have stabbed <laughs> me in the fucking face. I remember throwing my phone down, and I dropped acetone on the shoe by accident. So I quickly grabbed a kitchen towel, wiped the front of the shoe. What I didn't realize had just happened was I had painted so many different layers on this shit. So when I wiped the acetone, it, it looked like marble granite countertop. It looked gorgeous. So I bullshitted my way. I was like, ha ha, just kidding. How about now? And I took a new picture. And he's like, I'm in love. So I was like, perfect. And that's how, that, that's how the story was. It took me three years to say that story publicly. I did this shit on the next shoe. Long story, he loves it. He'd wear it to the locker room. But whatever, it was just sneakers. Two months, this is like maybe, I don't know, maybe May. So like two months later, right before uh, camp starts for preseason, pre he hits me up. He's like, hey, can you do my game cleats? So at the, at the time, it's, I'm like, bro, the fuck no, I'm not doing your game. Like, I'm worried about, you know, if somebody steps in you, the paint's going to come off. So I'm like, no. And I guess he wasn't expecting no as an answer. And he's like, come on, man. You know, you, and then he became the most motivational person I've ever met in my life. You got this. You can do this shit. He called me seven nights in a row. I kept telling him no every single night. And on the seventh night, I'm like, bro, you really want this? And he's like, yeah, man, I know you can do it. I was like, all right, I'll tell you what. I'm going to paint it for you. I'm not going to charge you because I don't know if this shit's going to work. The paint can fall off. You're going to look bad. I'm going to look bad. Marcus, I have faith in you. Bro, it was Tony Robbins on the phone. And at this point in time, was this, was this a big thing? Because in no. NFL, you're going to get fined. Anything you do, funky. It was so not a big thing. NFL didn't even have a rule against it. There was nothing against this at the time. So he gives me his cleats, and they were, they were basically Dallas colorways. You know, the Cowboys, right. white and, and blue. He wanted them just simply white and teal. So I spray this shoe. Mind you, he's my only client at the time. I spray this shoe, I ship it to him right before preseason game one. So starters don't really play a lot preseason game one or two. Three is where you play that half. So we had told ourselves, all right, let's, let's work this through week three, if I can make it that far, and let's see what happens. Where's the pregame one? No problem. Where's the preseason game two? Game three. I'll never forget, I'm at that game, and I'm like staring at this guy with binoculars, like, fuck, is that a crack? Oh, I'm, I'm screwed. After the game, I get the call, and I'm like, oh, here we go. This is, this is over. He calls me, and he's like, hey, Mark. I was like, hey, man. He's like, Bro, the shoes are perfect. There's nothing wrong with them. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, they're perfect. He's like, I'm shipping you a box tomorrow. Great, per perfect. He ships me 12 pairs of all black Jordan shoes. So in my head, I'm like, bro, that's a couple grand. I was like, bro, this is amazing. So I have no other clients at the time again. So I'm getting home from the tire company five, six o'clock at night. And I'm basically spraying these things till three, four in the morning, every morning. Oof. So I finish five days later, they're all done, and I'm all excited. I'm like, all right, Nolan, I'm gonna drive up to Davey, let's go meet up. He's like, no, I'll just ship them. And I'm like, bro, for real, I wanna take this to take photos. Like, this is my, this is my claim to fame. No, no, just ship them, ship them. So I get, I'm like, whatever. He gives me an address. I don't even bother to Google the shoes, like where the address is. I overnight it, it ended up being the Dolphins training facility. So he purposely, waited till after practice, and as you know, all those lockers are like pretty close to each other. Mm -hmm. And when you get a big fucking package, everybody wants to know what's in it. He didn't intend on selling the shoes, but when he opened the first pair, everybody knew that shoe was only available black. So when he opens a box, and this is Miami Dolphins. And the new shits, nobody yeah, else like, got them. It, it went fucking nuts. Yeah. He sold like 10 pairs. Best part about it, he sold it, it was like five grand. So at the time, I'm like, oh shit, this is amazing. He kept two, but better than the five grand, which he gave me every single dollar of. That night, I had eight Dolphin players call me. And those eight guys, Cam Wade, Jamar Taylor, like, I remember those guys like it was yesterday. The elite 10% that you were striving for from the very beginning. I get those guys. Full circle. So at this point, I am literally painting every day, 
late as hell. And what I didn't realize was happening was as I'm painting it, I'm sending it to Jamar Taylor, this you know backup defensive back. Mm -hmm. But he went to Boise. He went to, to Boise, and he puts it. He puts it up. His his roommate is Jerron Johnson of Seattle Seahawks. Oh shit! Give me that guy's number. Next thing you know, Jerron gets a pair. Marshawn Lynch walks right by him. He's like, oh shit! Where'd you get those? And that's how the story went from one guy to eight guys to 50 by year one. And by year two, I was like at 500. Now, tell me now, how many clients do you have, both major league, NFL, MMA? Like, do, um, do you have the number? Yeah, so NFLs, there's 1,600 guys on a roster, more or less. I deal with probably 1,200 of them. 1,600 guys in the NFL on there's roster? A, yeah, I deal yep. with 1,200 of them currently. Um, and then how does that work? And do they wear these during the games? Do they wear them in practice? So it depends It depends the type of guy. I have guys who wear one shoe for a month. I have guys who wear a shoe for a game. I have guys who wear it for a half. I have guys who wear it for pregame. I have guys who rock it for eight games. It just depends on the guy. And is there any fining still available going no, on or so, no? So that was another fucking hurdle. So when I started, it was, it was, it was rough. Um, when I started, going back to how Marshawn got into this stuff. So when Jerron Johnson, he gets hurt. It was Monday night against the Saints at Seattle. Never forget and Marshawn walks by Jerron Johnson's locker. And Jerron just got hurt, can't play. So there's these shoes that are, that are painted. Marshawn sees them, they go, I want them. But on the back of this shoe, it had two Nike swooshes, but they were like almost upright. So I turned them into two J's. And he's like, bro, I can't sell you these shoes. They have my initials on them. He's like, I don't give a shit. I'll give you a thousand bucks. He's like, no, I'm not gonna sell them to you. But he's like, I'll do you one better. I'll give you the kid's phone number. So he gives him my number. So I get Marshawn. And Marshawn was probably the first, oh fuck, moment I had. So Marshawn, that year was when Seattle made it to basically NFC Championship game, Super Bowl, they won. So I did several pairs and leading up to the playoffs, Marshawn, being Marshawn, was like, I want all gold. I was like, what, what do you want? He's like, all gold, I want 24 karat gold. I'm like, all right, bro, whatever you want. So I figured out a fucking way to get gold, dip, put it into the paint. So they played the Cowboys, I believe, for the NFC Championship. Are you allowed to tell me how much Marshawn Lynch's infamous Super Bowl <laughs> gold cleats one of, I can't remember that. I think it was somewhere, him. somewhere between 1,000 and 1,500 is what it was. It, TM, I mean, so what happened was, the story with that was, um, he gives me the shoes, I mix the paint, I, sh I paint them, he gets them, and what I would normally do was, I would normally take a picture of this and post it on my social media. So I post this on Friday, within an hour, ESPN, NFL Network, TMZ, they're blowing up my phone. Hey, can we use your image, can we use your image? I'm like, bro, hell yeah, you can use, put it wherever you want. So it made the NFL network, it was everywhere. Within 24 hours, I had the NFL PA call me. I, it literally was fucking rough. Cause Marshawn, like I spoke to Marshawn Friday after it all broke. He's like, fuck man, you posted them. And I felt so bad cause now they were coming on him. I was like, man, I'm so sorry. He said, no, nah, you didn't know, fuck the league. I'm gonna wear them anyways. And <laughs> so Marshawn- Yeah, cause everybody remembers like the Marshawn Lynch's, you know, beast mode. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not answering any goddamn questions That's, in an interview. He is exactly, so he's a nice guy. He, he, he's a misunderstood character. So whatever, I, I give him the shoes. So Dallas, I never forget, it was a Dallas Sunday game, and my phone is blowing up before the game because the night before, what people didn't know was that the NFLPA, Troy Vincent literally called me. He was like, listen, you know, I need to know about these shoes. I was like, bro, what do you want to know? Like, I painted them. He's like, well, they're gold. He plays for the Seahawks. I was like, well, Marshawn wants gold. Like, what do you want me to tell you? Right. So they're like, listen, the NFL's threatening to throw a flag Oh, no, first they threatened not to let him play the game. And he was like, you got to be fucking shitting me. There's no rule. NFL PA got involved, like, you can't do that. NFL comes back and says Saturday, like, at midnight, well, no problem. We can throw an unsportsmanlike conduct for, for uniforms, which they never throw. Right. And he's like, every time he steps on the field. So I'm like, fuck. So sure enough, I'm, I'm watching pregame. NFL on Fox is covering it. My Instagram's blowing up. My follows are going through the roof. 
And I'm looking for Marshawn, and Marshawn's in the gold fucking shoes. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be bad. So Marshawn's rocking the gold shoes. Long story short, he takes them off of the gold shoes. No big deal. No fine was thrown. Marshawn calls me on Monday. Hey, Mark, I want you to retouch my gold shoes. So I retouched the shoes. They, they were in the Super Bowl at this point. And now the NFL caught wind of it, so I didn't post the photo. Marshawn right. didn't post the photo. But everybody knew Marshawn came out in those shoes. All hell was going to break loose. Marshawn's dumbass comes out in the gold shoes. So Marshawn for that Super Bowl, they, you know, they announced Marshawn Lynch. He comes running, and he's fucking wearing gold shoes. It's like, oh, shit. There's the photo before that game of Pete Carroll coming up to Marshawn Lynch, like huddled over him, like literally telling him, please take off your fucking shoes. They're going to throw a flag every time you hit the field. So Marshawn gets pissed. They takes him off, throws him, Super Bowl game. But that was the first moment that it literally blew up. And that was really when the NFL said, we need to do something about this. So at the time, they had a, a, a rule which could have been socks, hand gear, everything. If, if you violated the, the equipment rule, first offense was, I think, 5,600. Second offense was 10 grand. They double it every single time. So every single week you show up, your fine will multiply. So yeah, uniform violation, mm -hmm. 25 or 5, then it goes to 10. Then it goes to 20, then it goes to 40, yeah, it's, and it it's gets absurd. nasty. Yeah. And what people don't realize is that there's some stupid-ass rules. So the rule that Marshawn's team had was Seattle couldn't have um, white shoestrings on their shoes. It's like the fucking dumbest rule ever. Um, so the NFL got stringent, and then started telling these people, okay, well, Team X, you have to pick white or black-based shoes. So, like, for example, Chicago Bears, they said, we're going to go with the white shoes because most of our uniforms are white. The average cleats at that moment aren't made in color. Like right. They're literally black. So the perfect story was Martellus Bennett was tight end at the time. He got fined game one, game two, game three because he was wearing black shoes. Like, And they're like, well, you have to wear white. And social media put him in touch with me somehow. Like, hey, why don't you have Mark paint your shoes? And most of the clients I deal with start off slow. And he was like, hey, listen, man, I don't want that paint shit on my shit. <laughs> Bro, just paint my shit all white. I don't want to get fined. I want my girl to go to college. I want to be able to pay for it. All right, cool. I'll paint it all white. Little did he know, I had a teammate, Tracy Porter, who played for him at the time, who was one of these, like, bro, I want orange on one, blue on another. So the NFL would basically say, at the time, there was rules, for example, 50% of the shoe needs to be navy. 50 has to be white. Right. But the other 50, you can fuck around with, which I would push that envelope. So Martella started with, you know, with all white. Then he's like, oh, man, why don't you add a little navy? Oh, man, why don't you add orange laces? By the end of the year, it was, it was wild. So the NFL, that first year, must have fined over 100 of my guys. They didn't give a shit. They, they took the fine yeah. probably. Um, and then it got to the point where a couple years in, the year after that, Nike, this is the second like, oh fuck moment. Nike sends out a pamphlet. And I have it framed in my house. It was a three page pamphlet, had eight photos in it. Seven, seven of them were my kitchen counter, which was a shoe. I'd always take a shoe, a picture of the shoe on my counter, post it up. Nike had people stalking my account and knowing who I was doing shoes for. So Nike sends out this pamphlet to all their sponsor guys. So for the people who don't know, if you have a Nike deal, it says, okay, well, you have to wear Nike. You can't wear any other brand. We're going to give you 25 grand in merchandise. Or if you're a big name player, we're going to give you 100 grand in cash and 50 grand in merchandise. So they basically And none of that logo can be altered or covered. Like, nope. for instance, if you have a bad ankle. I'll never forget. I got my first fine from Nike. I had to tape my ankle during a game. And Nike actually fined me $500 of my merchandise money because partially the swoosh was getting covered by my ankle tape. Otherwise, I'd have had a broken ankle. But they don't give a shit. If you're covering their logos on your own television, they don't care. They're yeah. taking your money. Yeah, and that's what happened. And so they send out this pamphlet saying, if you bother to use this guy or do anything, or anybody for that matter, we're going to cut your deal. So I'll never forget. I remember I, one of my guys calls me. He's like, hey, Mar Marcus, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, what, what do you mean? He sent me a photo. I'm like, fuck, that's it. 
Souls by Sir is over, game, game done. I'll never forget, it was the worst three hours of my life because I'm sitting there saying, fuck, like, and I'll never forget, my mom's there trying to encourage me, man, but you've done so much, be proud, you know, you've, you've, you've come a long way. I'm like, all I'm thinking is like, there goes that revenue source, like, right. I'm done. Little did I know, I had just gotten Twitter the day before. My first tweet I ever got was Adidas telling me, don't worry about it, we love your work, we'll be in touch. And I remember- No I shit. Like, oh, fuck. And sure enough, that opened up a door where a couple years ago, I was able to do the whole University of Miami football game, and that was their FU to Nike. Oh, you don't want a creator, right. we're gonna use him and we're gonna do it. But better than that, so that day, at that moment I had, I don't know, maybe 100 clients in the NFL, but I had one guy in every NFL locker. So when they sent out this pamphlet, people like Des Bryant, uh, Deshaun Jackson, who are not my clients by any stretch of imagination, get this pamphlet. You put that in front of them. These are, I compare it to the guys who drive, drive Ferraris. Everybody has a Ferrari. But all of a sudden, somebody rolls up in a chrome Ferrari. They're like, fuck, I yeah. want that. Yeah. So all of a sudden, I'm like, yo, who is this guy? And there was always that one guy that's like, oh, that's my dude. All of a sudden, that day, my clientele tripled. And not only did it triple, but it went to big names. Like, Des Bryant was on that list. Deshaun Jackson were on the list. So I get thinking to myself, are they worried about their content? So shout out to Nike for holding it down. Nike literally was my biggest yeah. fucking promoter. That's phenomenal. Um, so when they did this whole thing, um, I'll never forget. I'm like, I would tell them, hey, listen, guys, like, they're like, fuck that. If Nike drops me, I'll call Reebok, I'll call Adidas, and I'll get more money from them. Yeah. Fuck that. Reebok, here's another thing people don't know. Like, Nike was always the most stringent paying athletic wear supporter or, or sponsor. Reebok, everybody know if you went to Reebok, you get cash and you get merch. Now, then Adidas came on the scene, but Nike was always the cheapest one out of everybody. They still are. So now you're telling me that they're the ones that ultimately catapulted your business by trying to cripple your business. Oh, it gets way better than that. So when they do this, and it literally works against them, they don't drop a single athlete. They literally just were like, fuck it, we can't beat them. Uh, lo and behold, the NFL was another one to try to get involved. Well, we're going to start finding people. So then I found out the rules. Perfect example, the Miami Dolphins. So Miami Dolphins, if you ask anybody, what are the colors? They're going to tell you aqua, orange, white. The rule for Miami Dolphins was as long as less than 10% of that shoe is orange, fair game. So what did I do? I pushed that envelope right to 9.9, .9 and I started doing crazy stuff. But my guys weren't getting fined. So the NFL couldn't do anything about it. Nike couldn't do anything about it. Adidas was loving it. Um, next year, NFL comes out with My Cause, My Cleats, which basically says, hey, you can do whatever the fuck you want for yeah. one week, pick an organization, customize your shit, let's capitalize. Because at the moment, they were only doing that breast cancer awareness, yeah. we're pink, the pink ribbon. Yeah. So they said, wait a second, these kids are painting, why don't we capitalize on them? So then, I'll never forget that, within a week, I had a call from NFL saying, hey, by the way, do you mind if we use your contact? Because we're gonna send out a pamphlet to every player, or a letter to every player saying they can customize for one week only, and we want you to be the head guy on this list of people. So I went from like public enemy number one to can we please use you? Nike did the same thing. Nike said, hey, listen, we're only gonna do custom stuff for our top five guys, but six through 6,000, can we send out a pamphlet and say that they should call you because we love your work? So it literally flipped the strip, and that's what happened that very next season. And that's when I went from 100 guys to 500, 600, 800 guys. And now instead of the people calling me, agents were calling me, teams were calling me to do the whole lineup. Uh, and I forget my first team was the Oakland Raiders. They reached out and said, hey, listen, NFL just gave us your contact. We want to be you know, proactive with this My Calls, My Cleats. We want you to do the whole team. And I was like, okay, how many people? They're like 45. Okay. And sure enough, lo and behold, I went from just the Oakland Raiders to now I deal with, I think, 10 full teams plus all my regular guys. All I keep hearing is dollar sign. That's, that's all. That's fucking crazy. That's unbelievable, man. That's, that's crazy. 
that's that's how that happened. And you're like you're like the you're like the dude that breaks the the mafia's stranglehold on like unions. Like you're the guy. You're the guy that breaks the union. That's crazy to me. Revolutionizing a business, and then how does that transfer into a guy like Conor McGregor calling you and asking you to do some shoes? Man, so again, football was my main sport, and but every athlete, I don't care what the sport is, they all have like this pissing battle. So. They, oh, you know what? So this football player has a Ferrari, but I play baseball? Shit, my, I want three Ferraris. And then, oh, Conor McGregor, I want six. So what happens is they realize that, all right, well, the cars, the houses, they can't really brag about that when they're playing the game. How can you adapt your uniform that's supposed to be stringent? Oh, this kid customizes? Let me hit him up. And so it went from football to baseball, from baseball, like UFC, then brands started to call me. Then I was doing projects with Adidas, Reebok, so Reebok. So massive, like corporations collabing with you. Yeah, they would call. Like the way Connor found me was Reebok reached out to me and said, "Hey, listen, UFC has this athlete retreat once a year where they invite their 300 something guys to Vegas to go over products, blah blah blah. You want to come and do custom shoes for every UFC athlete?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure. How much you want to pay me?" And they they gave a really big number. So I flew out to Vegas, and I remember I did like 90 of the guys in like 48 hours. It was it was absurd, and Connor wasn't there, but Connor's people were there. So they, they caught wind of me. Um, Connor's agent was Nolan Carroll's original agent. So the first guy that got me started, and that's kind of how this whole web starts, this guy, Audie, Audie, I can't remember, Audie, I think was his first name. He was following me. Literally, I know who the hell he was. And he reached out. I got a phone call, like, on a, shit, maybe a Saturday. Hey, listen, uh, Connor McGregor's about to fight Floyd Mayweather for the, you know, the biggest battle ever. Um, however, we want you to do his custom boots. But you're in the running against five other customizers. What makes you so different? And I'm sitting there, fuck. Like, I don't even do mock-ups. I, 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 don't, I just paint. I don't, I don't when was the last time you had to, like, sell yourself? Huh? When was the last time you had to sell yourself at that point in time? Like, what was? You know, it's funny. I don't think I do, but I, apparently I do it all the time, not knowing. Uh, and so when he's like, well, what makes you different? He's like, well, listen, I, and we're on the phone going back and forth. He's like, well, we're making everybody draw out what Connor's going to be wearing. So I'm like, okay, cool. Mind you, I had never done a fucking draw out in my life. I don't, I don't sketch anything. Right. And I'm like, okay, well, give me a couple ideas. They're like, no, that's on you. So fuck, so you want me to draw something, you don't tell me what you want me to be about. I can't even see the guy's color of his trunks. I was like, all right, fuck it. So what I said is like, all right, I bet you everybody's doing one. I'm gonna do four fucking options. So I literally sketched out four options and I submit them within an hour. Like my thing was like, be first or be last. So I submit them, they're like, damn, you did four in an hour? I was like, yeah. And they're like, well, you're down to two, you're one of the two, we're gonna give you now instruction. And they're like, well, his trunks are this color, it's this and this and this and this. All right, cool. And I was going against a guy who coincidentally I went against for the UM game. He was a guy who did Nebraska. And I knew he was more of a conservative guy. So I'm like, man, fuck that. I'm going to just go balls to the wall here. I did Irish flags. I did gold. He fell in love with one of the designs. So they're like, we're going with you, Mark. Perfect. They don't tell me the other part of the story, which I'll tell you later. So they shipped me these two Reebok boots. One of them was alligator skin, which Connor didn't like. And the other one was like mesh material. Mesh material is the worst to paint on. Like, it's not smooth, so it's not like my shoes now, which are smooth, easy to paint on. Mesh is like, it sucks. It's, it, you can't do anything details. So I get these shoes to make it even worse was there was only one shoe available in the world at the time. Like, if I screw this shit up, there's no boot. There's no, they're gonna have to put them into something else. So we design it together on the phone, all of us on a conference call, Thursday of fight week. I'm finishing up the shoe, getting ready to overnight this for weigh-ins the next day. I get a phone call at five o'clock in the afternoon from his manager saying, hey, listen, Connor's going berserk. He wants to change the whole fucking idea. And I'm like, bro, there's no time. I don't have another shoe. He's like, yeah, with all this weight loss, like he's losing his mind. He wants to flip the whole script. I'm like, 
I just fucking painted the shoe. I don't have enough hours in a day, and on top of it, the shoe's white. I can't really undo that. Well, well, jump on a plane, come to Vegas. And I'm like, what do you mean jump on a plane? They're like, well, buy your ticket, get your ass, bring your studio to Vegas. When? Tonight. Fuck out of here. It's 5 o'clock. I was like, all right, book the ticket. I think it was a first-class ticket. I'm like, book that shit. I was like, listen, I got a ticket. I'm going to be there. I'll be there at 11. So I get picked up at the airport. I had never done this. I never painted, you know, in a, in a fucking hotel. I get to the win. They're staying on the super exclusive side. They're like, listen, we have a problem. There's no hotel room for you. But you're coming up to the manager's room. Whatever you need, we'll take care of it. So I'm literally in all these rooms, huge suite. I'm painting. All these guys, you know, they, they're bringing up dinner, whatever I want. They're all drinking. They all pass out around 12 o'clock. Audie's in front of me. He passes out like 1 o'clock. They're filming this whole shit, and I'm painting through the night. 10 a.m. comes around. Mind you, I, I get locked in my zone. I don't sleep. At 10 a.m., I'm done. Everybody's waking up, and I'm like, well, I just finished. So they send a picture to Connor. Connor falls in fucking love with the shoe. And I'm like, thank God. And they're like, so let's go to Wayne's, whatever. Go to Wayne's. Connor, sure enough, wears the boot. This is when I start to find out the real story why I got involved. This was another athlete giving Reebok the FU. So Connor is a UFC athlete. UFC owns, I mean, Reebok owns every UFC athlete. They're under branded contracts, so which states that any UFC fighter can no longer wear Nike, Adidas, anything. The only exclusion is John Bones, who has a Nike deal because of his brother who played right. in the NFL. So at this moment, you have to realize that Connor is not UFC fighter. Connor is the boxer. But Reebok said, we own you. You have to wear our product. Being the innovator that he is, and I am, Reebok never said you couldn't customize the boot. They just said you got to wear the boot. So Connor said, okay, I'll wear your boot. Calls me, unbeknownst to me, saying, I want my logo right on top of the Reebok. I want to cover the Reebok sign. I'm like, okay, cool. You're paying. Like, it's cool. Um, so I do this shoe, and I find out night, fight night. The only reason I got hired was because he wanted to give FU to Reebok. So I do the shoe. It was a, it was a crazy, amazing experience. Um, what is a batshit human being like Conor McGregor? pay you to do a boxing boot, probably twice the amount of work I imagine that it would be for a normal cleat? So here's where my smart dumbass comes into effect. So I knew that the guys I was competing against would hear the name Connor and they would ask for a lot of money. So what was I going to do? I was like, fuck that, do it for free. I don't do shit for free, but I was like, this motherfucker has 25 million followers at the time. I can't pay to for get that, that type of follower. Right. I was like, fuck it, I'll do it for free. And I guess they like that part of the deal, too. But, I mean, who in this room would say no to basically what ended up being free weekend in Vegas, ringside for the fight, party with Conor McGregor, and, oh, by the way, you have every news outlet interviewing you within 48 hours. It was, it was the best thing I did. Um, so I did it for free. I could have charged an arm and a leg, but if I would have, I would have got the project. But because of me not charging, led to so many more projects. After, it was absurd. Reebok realized their, their balls were against the wall, calls me the day after the fight. Hey, listen, so we saw what you did with Conor. Um, we love the idea. Mind you, they didn't know I knew the story. They're like, so we want to do custom boots for all of our fighters. They wanted to control the narrative. They say if Connor got you to do it, fuck that. We're going to go to the next guy, which was Lomachenko. We're going to offer him custom boots. But what they didn't tell me was that he's going to design them, but then right after that phone call, you're going to call us and, hey, Mark, what did he pick? Oh, he wanted blue and yellow. Cool. Make sure the tri-dough is red so it stands out against the whole thing. And that's what they did. And I, got, I started getting hired by Reebok. Basically, give custom shoes to these to these boxers. But hey, by the way, make sure you don't do what you do with Connor, because now we're paying you. And that's how that story went on. So you've jumped from like football, baseball, boxers, MMA fighters. What uh, everything happens in cycles yes. in life. How long do you see the customized shoe 
business going on. And then, like you said earlier on when we started doing this podcast, there's always something else you want to do. There's always more money or, or regardless of how much money you're making now, uh, which is probably a good amount, but there's always something else that you want to do on your plate. Because it seems like you get tired at some point in time of doing something utterly amazing. But, but what could be the next thing for Marcus Rivera? It's funny. Uh, so the, sh the shoe thing, to answer your first question, how long is, I always tell myself that this is going to end tomorrow. So I always, I always live with that model when it comes to this, that, listen, this shit is one collective bargaining agreement from it being over. So I was always worried about that. So I was always trying to figure out a way, you know, ingenious way to round that. It could end tomorrow or it could end 10 years from now. I'm just riding this wave as long as I can. I don't think it's going to die anytime soon because what happens is with everything happening in a cycle would make sense if you're going to keep dealing with the same people. But in every league, you have these 21-year-old kids with the first time in their life, they have a $7 million in their pocket, and they want to look like the guy, in the old guy in the locker room who's wearing custom shoes every right. year. So my cycle keeps changing every year. And when these guys get traded and Nike can't do shoes in the right color, that I come into effect. When the Dolphins cut Minka, and Minka's like, oh, I got to turn all my Dolphin stuff into Pittsburgh stuff, I get that phone call. So it lasts a good amount of time. Um, but am I thinking of the next thing? Always. I, I always am. I, I still have my tire company. I won't let it go because it's just it's profitable, and I, it's I always tell myself it's the reason why I was able to do custom shoes. Um, now we do it on the you know now we do that wholesale stuff, but on eBay like we have so many different things going on that I haven't really given time and focus to it. I have been brainstorming back and forth with my girlfriend. So I'm in this circle of people that when we go to a game like Drew Brees is one of like best athlete by the way I've ever dealt with. He's become one of my best friends. When we go to a game, it's just like. We get into this circle where it's like after the game, you're in the friends and family and mm -hmm. you're hanging out with them. So we're looking, I've always looked around and I'm like, fuck, like how can we make money in the circle? So my girlfriend, you know, has this, this idea where it's like all these wives, all these daughters, all these little boys, daddy's playing this game, making a lot of money, wearing custom shoes. Smart thing would say make custom kicks for them, but it's not really it. So then we just like, how many kids or wives want that jacket or that jersey to bling out like their husbands? So it's like, oh, that's a, that's a great idea. So we just started doing So you that. got mama with a glue gun and some rhinestones at home or like what? Straight up what I got to do. Shit, yeah. And Hell yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's funny because you have to use, like, that's the thing. If you're in that circle, you have to use it to, to your advantage. And, and that window is small, too. You have to take full advantage. So what we decided to do was basically that. So now it's like before you know it, and it'll come out within, I think, the next couple of weeks, you're going to start seeing the wives and the little kids with number 17 on their jersey and it says daddy but it's all in rhinestones badass and listen they, that's what they enjoy and that's what they love so figure if daddy's working with me i want the wife to work with me i want the kid i want the mistress i want the side chick i want all of them to work with us all sitting in different areas of the all stadium of though yeah yeah, listen, yeah. The, the kid's gonna say daddy and the side chick's gonna say daddy too but they don't they don't realize <laughs> the same thing. that's what's gonna happen that's awesome man that's crazy so you've already got that planned out what uh what regrets, if any, in your business or in your lifetime? Man. Wow, there's a lot. I mean, listen, you learn a lot of lessons. And, you know, when I was younger, one of my biggest regrets, I told you, was I never went to the Orange Bowl. Why didn't I not go to the Orange Bowl? Well, because I was always working. Why was I always working? Because I wanted to make a lot of money. So, you know, one thing you learn, and one of the things I learned, like when we started this tire company, I was like, listen, we've never been able to go on family vacations because somebody always had to be running, you know, mothership. So I was like, man, fuck that. Like, on this company, like, bro, we're closing two times a year. For a week, two weeks, we take a family vacation, and we each go wherever we want. And that's one thing I realized that, listen, you can make all the money in the world, but what good is it if you can't spend it? 
And what good is it if you can't do anything in my whole childhood, which I would say from, shit, 15 to, to 23, 24, bro, I didn't travel. Like, I was always stuck working, making money, but, but you're stuck. And then when you get 60 and you're too old to travel, like, fuck, I wish I would have not made two grand so I could have gone to Egypt. Damn, I wish I would have gone to Bali. Damn, I wish I would have gone. So it's like one thing I, I didn't do when I was younger was travel. Now it's like, don't get me wrong, it's like football season, is, you're, you're stuck. The only yeah. travel you're doing is to the stadium. But outside of that, like, we make a point to travel. Like, I oh, I saw the running of the Bulls pictures. I saw those. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I saw that. That was, that was a nice Nice little Spange. Oh, thank you so much. I was, you, you I was getting. Me, you left I was me getting, hanging, buddy? What, are you an only child? Fucking yes. What the fuck? So, yeah. So, that was a perfect example. So, we went in, So, my girlfriend, she's like, hey, let's go to Spain. So, in the back of my head, I'm like, yeah, let's go to Spain. I want to go to Bees and party like a rock star. And then we, I was like, man, you know what? I've always, wanted, I've always wanted to run with the Bulls like a dumbass. And sure enough, it's the same week. I was like, yep. fuck it. Reroute, we're going to run with the Bulls. And, bro, it was one of the craziest, most fun times I've ever had. You wake up at 6 in the morning to do the stupid idea. You're basically trapped in a fucking 10 yep. by 10 rodeo, and these bulls are coming to hurt you. Did you guys, you guys split, like, when you guys vacation, you guys do your stuff, you guys, you do it right. Like, you, you get an apartment right there on the main drag. You guys get your outfits going. Like, it's... Well, listen, I mean, listen, I, I've never, being from Miami, I've never seen so many Santeros in one street in my life. Everybody is white head to toe with a little red rag. Right. And so we did it. So we got up at 6 in the morning. Everybody's drunk by 6.15. You get up at 6 in the morning, get taken into this corral. They let the bulls out at 8. At 8.04, it's done. Like, you're, you're done. At 8.16, there's people vomiting from being fucked up. Well, we had that experience. So we, uh, we decided to run with the bulls on the day we were going to leave to the next stop in Spain. And so we run with the bulls. We're drinking. It's, oh, we're like, all right, let's go to the airport. It was way too early to go to the airport. So like, all right. Take us back. So we go to this bar. I mean, we were drinking in a bakery, mind you. They, they serve alcohol in bakeries. We're drinking in a bakery. At 1 o'clock, my girlfriend's a karaoke star of life at this point. And it got so bad. So I'm going to get in trouble for this one. It got so bad that we're on the way to the airport. We're waiting for the taxi. My girlfriend decides, in all white, mind you, to lay on the street. Like this. And she's like, Bram Stroker. I'm fucking tired. Like this. And I'm like, Are you that's how drunk we were. But... You have amazing times like that, and it, it's, it's so cool, and it's because of things. So my biggest regret would be not being able to do those type of things when I was younger, which I'm still young, but now it's like I, I make time apart to be like, all right, listen, we're, we're planning the next one. I think to Egypt, the next one. Like, you have to do it now mm -hmm. be, before you have kids, before you have commitments that you have to stay in sound for. So, so that's, that's my next question. <laughs> I myself waited 10 years before we had kids. We were married for 10 years. I always wanted to wait until I was done doing what I was doing because I wanted to devote all my attention to my craft, my work. At what point in time do you think that in your life and in your business that you might have that feeling that I want another me or I want a child? Do, do you have kids in your future? I just want to know how much my mother paid you to ask me that fucking question. <laughs> She's no. Cuban, bro. She's Cuban. <laughs> no, listen, I, I've always wanted kids. I've always wanted multiple kids. It's just, a, first of all, living in Miami, it's not easy to find somebody to have kids with. And I don't want to pay some, some person mm -hmm. money for 18 years. I like how you cleaned it up. That's yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, because I don't want to pay some person money for 18 years for something that's mine. So I was like, I'm just going to take my time, not rush into it, find the right one, which I, I found the right one. But get married. Like, I, I still believe in old school things where it's like you should get married first and have your kids. I mean, mm -hmm. don't get me wrong. Kid comes out first, and it is what it is. But I, soon is what I will tell you. Um, but it's one of those things that, I've never, I'm not going to half-ass some shit. So I don't want to be that guy that has seven kids, but he's partying on Friday night at the club, and it's like, fuck, hey, mom, can you take care of my seven kids? Which she would gladly do, but 
I don't want to be that parent. And living in a city, you see that shit everywhere. Yeah. It's like, well, don't you have kids from two different moms? Yep. And isn't that one of the baby mamas? There? I imagine the, the majority of your clientele, you probably oh, see it firsthand. Oh, yeah. That, it happens all the time. And I was just like, I don't want to be that guy. So, I mean, it's, it's in the foreseeable future. Um, I pray I don't have three girls. I don't know what I would do. Oh, yeah. It's, That's what they say. Well, here's the thing. Being, being, being the football meathead guy, I... I, I did want a son. I'm not going to lie to you. I wanted sons. I wanted them to do what I do. And then daughters are game changers, bro. I, I, I remember I came up with some philosoph philosophical stuff that I ended up putting, like, I wanted to put on a T-shirt now, and I said something about sons will always try to steal your crown. Your daughters will try to help you put yours on. So that was, like, something that I, after having daughters... I realize that, and like, if you think about it, men will always go out and, and, and venture and create their own lives and do their own family thing and come home for once in a while and maybe argue with Pop or sit down and have a cigar with Pop or whatever, but your daughters are going to be the ones taking care of the rest of your life. So I don't know if that's just my wife convincing me to think this way, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty content, to be perfectly honest. And I think that judging by the way that I am with my mentality and how tough and, and, and critical and specific I am with a lot of things. And it seems like you're probably that same type of person that being a son underneath a guy who created a shoe mogul company is going to be tough road to follow. So it's one of those things where it might be, might have been a blessing in disguise for me to not get the, the football son or, or the athletic son that I would be for the most part, my, my guess is if I had a son, he would not be looking highly upon me because of the fact that I'm so mean about doing something so easy or what came easy to me, yeah. you know? So um, I'm, 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 I'm guessing that uh, the daughter thing is, is one of those things that I think you have to experience to, to really, really appreciate. So if that's my two cents <laughs> on the kids category. Listen, you know, as long as they're healthy, I guess. You know, yeah, 10 fingers, really 10 toes. About. 10 um, fingers, 10 toes. We'll, we'll see. We'll have a conversation soon and see what happens. But as of right got now, it. there's no boys. There's no girls. We're good. I just got And you're no still boys. hitting the club up once in a while. Or are you just working too hard? Um, listen, what I call it is I am seeking new Clients. I'm going there because the people who are done. Oh, up, it's a write-off. That's it. Ah, it I got it. You're going there because. I got it. Well, my guys are off-season. They come into town. Of and, course. Hey, you want to go out? Hey, yeah, I know this. Unfortunately, I know. You have to do it. I know. Yeah, it's part of the gig. I'm feeling yeah. it's a downside. But luckily, my girlfriend likes to stay up late, go out of town, party. So I'm, I'm good. I, Perfect. I'm good. Awesome. Well, again, this is this is something that I've never done before. So I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying Every single ounce of your stories, I'm, I'm, I'm blown away by the sandwich. The sandwich story, they could write a goddamn book about. I, I promise you. The sandwich you know, story is mind-boggling. And for, for a guy, my guess is you were probably around 13 years old, yeah. coming up with that, that whole business plan. That could be a master's thesis at the University of Miami, to, to be perfectly honest with you, in an entrepreneurial class. That's, that's phenomenal. So uh, I want to thank everybody for coming out and, and having a pop or two tonight and listening to... Marcus's story, Souls by Sir, man. Ladies and gentlemen, this is badass. I'm, I'm so glad I had you out here today and, 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 and look forward to, to seeing many more, many more cool things coming out of you and your camp. Oh, thank you, man. Listen, this, this is still like, this is, it is hard to believe the, all these things. It's, it's just like, I never imagined any of this shit. I wanted it all, I didn't realize I wanted it all, but I never imagined this. I never thought people would want to hear this story. Like, to me, it was just fun shits and giggles you see at a bar one time, but 
you know, to see people like want to hear this shit. And I'm just like, man, it, this is my story. It's cool. It's different. But it's like, to me, it was just life. And it got me to where I'm at now. And it, it's got me to a point where like, I'm super happy. It, it's amazing. But it, it's still, this is a fucking, like, I, I pinch myself at times. I'm like, bro, I'm really in this conversation. I'm doing stuff like this. I'm delivering shoes to player X. I'm, we're, we're sitting here courtside. Like, it's stuff that, bro, it's out of a, it's a sports lover's dream. And I still, it's hard. I don't want to wake up from this shit. So I pray to God. It lasts for 30 years, but you have to plan, like, if it's only going to last 30 minutes. Well, that's why I'm like, that's why I wanted to hear it. I wanted to hear it, the fact that, like, it's not like you trip and fell into freaking greatness. You know what I mean? It's like, you've been doing this since you were 11 years old. You've been grinding it out at a tire company. You've been working your balls off trying to sell sandwiches. You've been assembling a corporation making ham goddamn sandwiches. Like, it, it, this isn't something that, like... You didn't wake up one day and you found out you had a lottery ticket. Like this is this is shit that you've earned. This is stuff that you've worked for and and like you walk among us is basically the way I wanted to like look at this is like this is a real life situation. Like why not you? Why not me? Why not anybody else for that matter? If they do put their mind to something and they do have vision, they have dreams and they sacrifice and and they do the things that are required to do to become successful and great. Like, there's a lot of people that probably could have painted shoes that are really good artists that could oh, have done stuff, listen, but I, nobody had the ingenuity like that. I, I always tell people the thing about social media, the downside is that you people only see the fun shit. Like, nobody sees it. Everybody wants to look successful, not 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 work to be successful. Man, listen, there's so many days I work 22 hours. It's absurd, and people don't. They just see the cool shoes and. Oh, they see you on a sideline. Oh, they see you out with so-and-so. It's like, listen, man, I took the stairs to get to the penthouse. Like, I didn't take an escalator. I had, like, the, the one that always fucking gets me. I'll get DMs all the time. Athletes, customers, or you get these kids that super talented. You look at their Instagram, like, man, this kid can draw. Hey, listen, uh, so I know you can't do all the 32 teams, and hey, how about, how can I get an athlete? And I'll literally take my time to write back to them, like, you understand that like that, you're never going to go nowhere in life. They, they have this, I want to take an escalator, elevator to the top floor. It's like, bro, you have to sweat your ass to get up there. And, and then, oh, by the way, when you're walking up, somebody's going to kick you down, and you have to be able to get back up. These kids nowadays, and it, and it kills me because there's so much talent, but they're lazy as fuck. Yep. They're just fucking lazy. Yep. And it's just like, bro, you want to be successful. I don't care if it's, you want to be a school teacher, a principal, an artist. You can make money. You can make a career out of it. A one, don't do it purely because you want to get rich. Because that's gonna, there, you're gonna get to a point where that number, I want to make a million dollars, is not gonna be enough for you. Mm -hmm. and you're gonna be miserable, but you're making ten million, you're still fucking miserable. And then you have the thing where I don't want to work to get there. Like I don't want to get paint on my nails. Oh, you have to work on a Friday. Oh, you're at dinner at ten o'clock and yeah. you get a phone call from an athlete saying he needs a favor and you want to tell him no. Good fucking luck. That's like, the last time you talked to him. Why won't you be at the strip club with that athlete that's down? No, because I'm trying to get five more tonight. That's like, they, people don't get it. They no, just don't they, pick it up. Listen, so many times, and, and this is one of the, the downsides, is I'll be, at ten, I'll be at dinner Friday night, 10 o'clock, and I'll have a Dolphin player like, yo, Mark, I need a favor. And I'm like, fuck. Because you can't tell them no. All you can tell them is, hey, by the way, this favor is going to cost you three times as much. They don't care. Hey, listen, bro, I'm going to have to charge you. Don't worry, charge me whatever you want, but please, man, I'm going to Uber these shoes to you right now. Uber them to the restaurant. Hey, listen, babe, when we're done, we, I have to go back home and paint. And it's just, that's part of the gig. But nobody sees that shit. They just see the cool post on yeah. Sunday afternoon. Hey, look who I just did. It's like, yo, asshole, this guy sent me a shit at 11 o'clock at night on right. And that's part of, that's, that's one of the main reasons I attribute to how I've gotten to where I've gotten to. Because I don't say no, but every yes comes at a price. But at the same time, like, well, you have to do what you have to do sometimes if you want to succeed. Marcus Rivero is still grinding, bro. Awesome. Phenomenal story. Thank you so much for coming. I appreciate it. So how'd it go? Was it all right or was it pretty decent or was it pretty good? Good little story time.
Love CC.